Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners at betonline.ag. The NBA is right around the corner, and right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play. And BetOnline has the best odds and lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Stance. Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. We are all about segues here, as these guys uh, can attest. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com and Bleacher Report, Preston Ellis. Joining me today is editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's up, bro? I'm happy it's Friday, but then again, I don't know what there's to look forward to. Kevin was like, <laughs> I have no idea what it, what day it is. I told him, I, have, I get my Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays confused, but... Anyways, pandemic's getting worse. Basketball's around the corner. Will they pull it off? You know, yada, yada. Yeah, and I just put these guys in a sour mood uh, with my own personal story. My labor union might be... uh might be sitting at home until possibly 2021 we were just informed so i'm trying to get the ball rolling on that good times all around happy america day uh we also have fellow contributor to the he's actually got an article up uh from yesterday on 11 things you need to know about the 2019-20 season mr david grubb what's going on man um we'll work we'll talk on the radio for food <laughs> no, um, it's been a busy week still, you know, a lot of podcasts, a lot of uh, writing, a lot of, you know, so, so it's been, I'm keeping myself busy. Glad to be here with you guys. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. And I'll keep pitching this to you, Grub. You ever want to host a Hard in the Paint podcast, uh, you're always welcome on the Armchair Media Network. Uh, but I know you've got a lot of, a lot of uh, irons in the fire. I don't remember uh, the expression. That's we also. It. And that, there it is. Uh, Mr. Kevin Berrios, you also wrote an article this week. How about that? How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I um, I did an interview with my friend Mike Park, who we've had on this podcast, I think, two or maybe even three times already. Um, you know, he's a fun, interesting guy. Um, one of the most sincere and thoughtful people I know. Um, and I think that it's interesting because even today there's a part where we talk about like cancel culture and what that's like. Um, I mean, we talk about basketball and stuff too, but uh, the main reason I wanted to talk to him is because he's a guy who's not only is a huge basketball fan, but he's a guy who built uh, a business with the ethos of promote, like being strongly anti-racist. Like he combats racist through the kinds of bands that he signs, the kind of, publications he puts out um and, and things like that so i wanted to talk to him about everything that's going on in america and also of course of all these brands now jumping on the black lives matter movement and you know trying to figure out who's uh legitimate and who's just trying to cash in or you know placate um stuff like that so, so it's a pretty interesting interview but it was funny because yesterday i even saw him talking about on twitter how he was worried about him saying something that might offend somebody and then he gets canceled, you know, and it's, and I think there's a long talk in there that we did about how, um, you know, certainly there's things that people can't come back from, but also there's mistakes that people have made throughout their lives. And even today that they need to learn from, and that we also need to allow them time to learn that stuff and to grow. Um, so to me, somebody who's been so sincere and so wonderful and proactive in that aspect, even having to worry about that is something that's uh, just like it was unusual to me. And it's sort of like worrisome in a sense that maybe sometimes we take 
these policing of other people too far. Um, so I don't know if you're interested in that, there's that article. And also uh, in a, on a lighter note, I, um, I went back to the last time we um, were in the playoffs and I read through some pieces I wrote during that playoff run. That was fun. I posted those up on uh, Twitter too, if you want to go and check those out. One was about um, the day the New Orleans Pelicans uh, became New Orleans basketball team. And the other one was the Drew Holiday is the Tim Duncan of Allen Iverson's article, which I think uh, to me, that's my favorite piece for me that I've ever written solo. Like I think the things I've written with Chris are the best things that I've done, but um, that, that, that piece uh, for writing it by myself, I think is the strongest thing that I've done. So if you're interested in those things, uh, they're pretty recent on my timeline. I pinned the Drew Holiday one, so that's easy to find. Wow, Kevin, I don't know where to start. Uh, I was I was still hooked on uh, the part you were talking about with Mike about, you know, the cancel culture and the whole element of being so quick to to pile on. And, and I think about that in honor of Alexander Hamilton. I think of that quote. Uh, I think it was Alexander Pope said to err is human, uh, but forgiveness is divine. So, yeah, we definitely want to point out. Um, you know, mistakes that are made, but you also want to give allowances for those who do truly want to change. And uh, great work. Everybody's got work on the birdrights.com this week. I've got uh, the NBA uh, 2K article up there. Let's go ahead and let's get started. Uh, we'll go over to Ali and we'll talk about Super Zion. Uh, of course, we've got the the Zano, uh, Zanos, uh, as David Grubb likes to call him, the Thanos uh, GIF. That's very popular. Now he's being associated with Bane from Dark Knight Returns. Tell me, Ali, do you think that uh, Bane might become more a staple of Zion in New Orleans Pelicans culture, or do you, you think we're sticking with Thanos? Oh, I think you're definitely going to stick with Thanos, right? Um, Zion, first of all, has lauded that guy first moment he did a press conference here in New Orleans. And so that is good. And then besides, Th Thanos would destroy Bane, right? So I don't think there's an argument to be had there either. Um, and you know what? I'm curious, though. Did the Pelicans actually try and take a picture of to where remind and, and use it basically post? I'm sure that these guys, the photographer, whoever, I, I can't remember his name, but must have taken probably, let's say, you know, 30 to 40 pictures at least designed. Did the Pelicans choose to use this one because it kind of reminded them of Bane and all this and trying to send kind of a message, you know, a public service announcement about wearing a mask? On top of, of course, showing that he's in good peak physical shape and stuff. So I don't really honestly care <laughs> one way or the other on this question. But I just think it's great, right? The Zion looks really, really good. I don't think he ever looked like this in Duke. I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. But ever since he hit the college scene, he has never looked this chiseled to me. Yeah, uh, he, he does look amazing. And I, I think it's it's good on New Orleans Pelicans. I'm, I don't know if they were intentionally doing this, but I think it's nice to popularize wearing masks uh, to to, to kind of elevate oh, it sure. in, yeah. in, in such a fun fashion because so many people are associating it uh, with this troublesome political statement right now. And to make it fun, to make it cool, I think it's really, really important. And being able to do that with somebody of Zion's ilk, I think it's really important. So good job by them, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Oh, God. Those are the screams I used to make when I'd cut myself shaving, you know where. But that was before Manscaped. Thanks, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Look, who here doesn't get nervous about grooming their man parts? And that's why Manscaped created the Lawnmower 3.0, beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your family jewels. So many people have written in stories about how the Lawnmower 3.0 has changed their lives. They even included pics so I could see the smoothness for myself. And they aren't kidding. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Let's go ahead and talk about his body grub, because that's what we do here on the Bird Calls podcast. We talk about men's bodies. Why'd you, and why'd you raise the, the, the your octave right there when you turned it to me like like we were in on this and say like like we planned it no dude we, you, you're you're doing the toss i was I'm just the bystander. This is the agenda David Grubb uh, set me. So <laughs> David wanted to, 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 to explain to you why if Zion was a professional wrestler, he would be the heavyweight champion right now. Do you think he's got a future in it? I mean, why do we keep trying to put Zion in other jobs? We keep trying to do this. He's a defensive end. He's a tight end. He could be heavyweight champ. Somebody had him against prime Mike Tyson on the internet. Why do we have to do this? Can we just let the man play basketball? 
and see what his best basketball could be. Like, I don't want him to be anything else. I want him to spend all of his non, you know, all of his professional time focused on basketball. Whatever he does in his free time, as long as it's not detrimental to himself, go ahead and do it, Zion. But in the, the rest of the time, I am focused on basketball. And when I look at him and I see physically where he is now, I think Ollie's absolutely right. I mean, look, there's no way that what Duke had or what his high school had as far as training could compare to what Aaron Nelson was able to do with him. There's no, he's never had the individual attention that he got during this offseason, um, during this uh, hiatus. He was recovering from the knee. So the knee probably had been bothering him always since Duke, I would imagine, because that's not an overnight thing. When he hurt himself at the Smith Center um, in the Duke Carolina game, I'm sure this is part of that. So he had the first extended period to just work on his body and not play, have to worry about games, not have to worry about television appearances, not have to worry about anything but just focusing on his body, which is what we would have wanted him to do this offseason anyway during the summer. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that this is how he comes back um, and this is how he looks. He's gonna, his body's going to mature. He's going to become an adult and shed some of that natural fat that you carry. And um, he just looks like he's turning into a man. But, David, so you're saying you don't really care whether he got better at Call of Duty? No, I don't. I don't. No. <laughs> that's a shot no. at Andy, and I, David. Yes, I know. Pick up on who that. says, and that's the, what he led with. Like, what did you get better? No, he didn't do anything. Yeah, that's what you lead with. This is a champion. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you imagine? Is it just because you brought it up, Bob? Just imagine. <laughs> just imagine Giannis being asked that question. Mm-hmm. I'm I not going to do the whole Jordan or Kobe stuff. That's not, we're not going to do that. But just Giannis, what did you do during this time? You think he's going to say Call of Duty? Nah, baby. I remember uh, an interview uh, a few months ago with Anthony Davis where he cited that LeBron James had to sit him down and instruct him to watch more game film in his downtime, uh, that he was watching too many movies. I think when he got traded, he was actually in a movie theater. So that was one of the things they had to talk about. But this isn't an Anthony Davis uh, podcast. We're talking about the Renaissance man, the man of many talents, uh, uh, Kevin. And one thing that we've seen improve from his game right now is his shooting stroke is a little bit more fluid. Uh, he still carries the ball too low for my like uh, for my likeness on the on the catch. What did you think of his new and improved uh, shooting motion? Well, first, I think we should say that this segment was brought to you by Manscaped, right? I mean, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? The perfect Manscaped uh, advert. I- anyway, um, and and you know, like I said. Uh, I used to call him Wide Drexler, but now he's Braun Kemp because, you know, he looks incredibly jacked. And, you know, I always saw elements of Sean Kemp in his game. So we'll, we'll throw that out there. But um, to answer your question, um, I don't care what his stroke looks like. I mean, I, I don't really need him to make jump shots. I, I, he can make free throws uh, fine, but I like him down low in the post, uh, layups, little hooks. Uh, dunks, those sort of things. I want him to be the most dominant post player since Shaq in this league. And I think that that's what he can be because he's a matchup nightmare for people. Yes. In, anything else that he adds to his game is Lanyap, but I also don't want him to fall in love with a, a jump shot and stretching out. I want other people to open the floor for him to just anchor him in the middle and kill people. And so, like, I'm not going to nitpick his, his jump shot. If, if other people are happy with the way his stroke looks, cool. I don't care what it looks like. I, I, I care about what his, what his post moves look like, what his uh, footwork looks like, um, what his dunks look like, what his layups look like, what his body contortion around the rim looks like, how he finishes through contact, because that's how he's going to be the most dominant player in the league. It's not going to be because he can take a 15-foot shoot, uh, jump shot or a corner three. I mean, that's just that's just what the truth is about what he is as a player. Yeah, well, go ahead. Uh, that was a question from Finn the Human. Uh, thank you, Finn. I'm reading a text from Ali Cosell as I transition uh, over to him. Yeah, you sound great on your blue ball mic. No, it's a snowbell mic. 
Oh God! Whatever. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? What is going on with that you guys today? To you, by me. <laughs> oh God! Okay, so uh, we're we're talking about his uh, shape, and I I think I can speak for myself. I don't know about you guys, but uh, during this time, this extended absence from our daily lives, I think it's safe to say that most of us have gained weight, not lost weight. But I think a lot of that can be attributed uh, attributed to the work that Aaron Nelson has done with Zion Williamson, who's had access to the facility. Uh, amidst this entire run due to the nature of this rehab. So talk about the work that Aaron Nelson has done uh, with Zion. What information are you privy to? How was he able to change his body in, what, two and a half months' time, three months' time? Who are you directing that to? <laughs> Ali. Aliander Cosell. Okay. Gotcha. No, I think I'm glad you're bringing this up. And um, Chris Dodds and I actually talked a little bit about this yesterday on his podcast when he had me on as a guest. Look, I think, hopefully, knock on wood, but I think Aaron Nelson is going to be the most pivotal pivotal figure in this whole Orlando restart if the Pelicans are able to get through uh, their schedule. Even, even if they don't, I still have faith in Aaron Nelson and what he's done. So let, let's start there. Without a doubt, I think when we look back on Griffin's whole tenure, I think Aaron Nelson may be considered as the most important signing slash, you know, whatever move Griff makes on behalf of the Pelicans organization. We know all of us here in this conversation, as well as most fans know just how bad and how detrimental injuries have been seemingly every year, knocking out one or two at least key pieces. And so you've got to change that. And so Griffin tried to, to do what looks like what was his best move and bring in one of the best from the Phoenix Suns in there Nelson. So if you don't know anything about him, Stuff's out there on Google, guys. Read up on him. He did amazing things with an older um, roster in Phoenix where he prolonged the careers of Steve Nash, Grant Hill, Shaq. Um, it's all there. And so you want a guy like that having all his eyes, hands, and, and, and all of his knowledge involved with Zion Williamson. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, listen, the, the whole point is Aaron. This whole Nelson thing has gone Lincoln. left. <laughs> yeah, boy, I don't know what's going on with us today. But look, Aaron Nelson, right? Let's stay on topic, Rub. He is going to be probably the biggest key to Zion's career, I feel like. No matter what Zion does in terms of adding a jump shot, becoming more, you know, whatever he adds to his game, the biggest key is for him just to stay on the court, to still possess that 45-inch vertical, that explosiveness. And so, like I said, Aaron Nelson is that key figure. And so, you know, I feel great. What Griffin has told us in the – in uh, during this quarantine is the fact that he was working exclusively with Zion during throughout these last, what, three and a half months or so on those rehabs. So you've got to think they've probably also been working on not only getting that knee stronger, they've been still working on that gait, all those things that they tried to fix while he was rehabbing initially from that surgery in those 44 games he missed. So they've only had that much more time to, you know, make progress on that front. And I think that's, that's fantastic. That is, the best news, as David said, is what Zion has been able to do over these last three months is exactly what we had hoped to see in the offseason. But he's now done it during this downtime. And, you know, I just pray that, knock on wood, nothing happens in Orlando. Because let's face it, these guys are going to go from no matter what shape they're in now, even if it's good, you're going to be asked to play NBA game speed. And we know how that translates, especially to eight games in what David say, like 14 days. So it's going to be a big test. I'm wondering if they'll monitor his minutes. But again, you've got to trust that the Pelicans are going to do right by him because they've got Aaron Nelson there, who obviously checks that data every day. Get in there, Grub. Oh, okay. So, well, I just wanted to add on to both what Kevin and I said. The first thing I loved about what Kevin was talking about is that footwork. And I hope that that's what Zion spent a lot of time on. Because when we talk about players like Sean Kemp, that explosive type player, they typically have a very short shelf life because they don't develop that second part, the footwork. Sean Kemp's was for a whole nother reason, you know, cocaine got fat, but a lot of explosive players have short shelf lives. Amari Stoudemire, for example. And so if Zion has had this opportunity too, to spend a lot of time and not just working on that, getting his vertical back, but getting his footwork back in alignment and being able to work, you know, doing some, some practices against, however they recreated length for him, because that was really the only time we saw him struggle. And that's what we're going to, he's going to see a lot of um, in the, uh, as we move into hopefully the playoffs, 
And then on Ali's side, yeah, I think, again, it's just you're, you're always trying to prime him for longevity. And I think when people talk about load management in general, every team is going to be load managing in one way or another. The teams at the top, I think we talked about this a week ago, the teams at the top, if they've got nothing to lose, if home court advantage is not a, a thing anymore, why wouldn't you manage your veterans that way? And if you're a team who's just getting back, you're going to load manage to just figure out where people's health is initially. So I think load management is part of everyone's strategy going into Orlando. I can't believe after four Manscaped ads in a row, we're now talking about load management. It's it's pretty funny, though, because uh, I, I checked on Twitter after Ali's last answer, and it was the first thing that popped up on some clip from GetUp. Let's go ahead and uh, transition over to Kevin. Um, so we're we're talking about Aaron Nelson, and we're also talking about uh, – I just lost it – Jenna Jenna Rosen, who is working Jenna with Rosen, the players yeah. to help them. Um, what's going to be a really challenging mental process, Josh Hart uh, called it 10% physical, 90% uh, mental. Uh, we talked about the, the physical improvements of the Pelicans players during their layoffs. But in terms of mental capacity, just how challenging do you think this is going to be, Kevin? Oh, it's super challenging. I mean, there's none of us, you know, unless you've spent some time in jail and even spending time in jail, you're like in a cell with other people and in a yard mixed with other people. Um, it's like impossible to know what this is going to be like, where you're basically shuttled onto a court for practice workout, and then you're brought back into a room and you are kind of confined to that. Um, and for months and you don't get to see the people you love uh you don't get to see your family you don't get to you know i there was some i, I need to read more on this and maybe you guys uh know more about it than i did i just kind of like blew past it and wanted to go back and look into it and i haven't yet but there was some sort of uh thing about when i mean we've talked about it before in the pod about how these guys aren't going to be able to have sex until like for like seven weeks or something until their significant others can can come join them in the bubble but there was some sort of like uh, like webcam situation that the league was setting up for them. Do you, am, I, am I right in like knowing that? It's an um, offer. It's an yeah. offer. Okay. But that's very interesting. But I mean, it, but seriously, I mean, these are real concerns that, you know, that, that these guys are going to go through their lives are going to be completely different, you know, and you know how people deal with that mentally is going to be, uh, it's going to, there's going to be wide ranges of that. Some guys are going to be able to adapt and be very adaptable to it. Some people might benefit from the sort of, you know, time to just focus on yourself and, and, and those kind of things and not worry about the outside world. And some guys are going to have a really hard time struggling with the isolation um, that they experience. So there's, I don't think there's like one one way that it's going to impact everybody it's going to be different for a lot of segments of that but it's definitely going to be a a huge impact on these guys lives by living in this situation and i think it's often trivialized and what when we're talking about this you know it's like oh they love basketball they're getting paid to go play basketball they get to just go do this it's going to be uh this is going to be normal for them but it's going to be it's not going to be normal for them at all for anybody involved so um it is something that i think will have the biggest impact even more so than than the uh physical aspects of it oh there's uh, no doubt and i want to add something real quick you know what i'm expecting is that when they get to the bubble there'll be like that initial excitement right um something novel something new hey we're here to get a job done uh we're going to be playing basketball we're going to be able to promote black lives matter movement all sorts of stuff but i think that's going to be so short-lived. I think within a week's time, these guys are really going to get bored of basically they're going to be hanging out in their room so much and they're not allowed to bring anybody else at any time into their room. So I think that isolation is going to get to them and it's going to lead to, of course, missing their, their partners or who, whoever in their lives. And so it's going to be curious to see exactly how they, you know, especially Jenna Rose and how the Pelicans are trying to help these players through like one of these mental challenges where there's obviously going to be other things you've got to, you know, even address like the lack of crowds, self-motivation. I've heard that's all things that's being kind of talked about with these guys on how they should, you know, focus and address certain things. So yeah, this is, I think Josh Hart nailed it. 10% physical because these guys have been playing basketball their whole lives. They know where their fitness level should be, but this whole mental aspect is such 
and unknown. And these guys are going to be sequestered for such a long time, right? I wrote in the article 37 days from just when they travel to Orlando to when they play their last game against the Magic on August 13th. And as J.J. Reddick pointed out today on the media conference call, that doesn't include the two weeks prior to all this where the players, especially the ones from out of market, are going to be by themselves as he is with Drew Holiday alone. His family's still up in Brooklyn. So real long time to go without seeing your loved ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, I was just thinking uh, a, a way that the, the players could potentially pass some of the time. Uh, I saw that Terrence Ross is doing this. Of course, uh, we know that Josh Hart and J.J. Reddick do the same. Uh, podcasting, that's that's something that could help the players pass some of this time. Uh, just sitting in their hotel room is the perfect place uh, to bring in a microphone and to just have candid conversations, whether they be about Black Lives Matter or about the games, the practices, their experience, uh, any number of topics. David, how many of these players do you think might be, I don't know, n- number one, uh, hosting video game live like Josh Hart or doing podcasts? Do you think a lot of them are going to find ways to become involved uh, in social media during this time? I think I don't think people's personalities will change that much, but you know the thing I'd worry about is like honestly, and and I don't make this as a joke, is like that confinement, that isolation. If you remember what Stefan Marbury went through a few years ago, when he was when he was at his at his bottom, and he was felt isolated in much the same way, and you know I mean into this, there's a point where he's eating Vaseline live on social media. The, the t- your mind and as somebody who lives with mental illness i will say this when you are put into situations like this it can be a trigger for things that you don't want to see um and things that you don't want to do or say that kind of just r- this repetitive nature of and athletes are people who thrive on routine and this is not their routine and there's a certain mental aspect, like you said, that goes into this, that 90% mental. I think it's even underestimating it at that. It's almost all mental to me um, for them to, to get through this because you're having to not only isolate yourself within, but you're having to isolate without. And that sacrifice of not being able to do something or knowing the implication of what leaving means if you have to. I mean, there's, there's so much of that. It's all mental to me. And I think if we don't understand that, if we don't communicate that, and if these players are not focused on that, um, you know, yeah, they can they'll try to figure out recreation. Some of these guys will treat it like AAU camp. But for some people, this will be the hardest thing they'll ever do mentally mm-hmm. because they've not had to live like this. I just found this. Uh, this is breaking news. Shams literally posted this just one minute ago. Victor Oladipo has decided to sit out uh, the remainder of the 2019-20 season. He'll not be accompanying the Pacers to Orlando. That doesn't directly affect the Pelicans because obviously they don't have a matchup scheduled with the Pacers. But I imagine the Pacers might have a matchup somewhere along one of the competitors that are um, en route for that that bubble playoff position at the eight or nine spot in the Western Conference. And, and it goes to what you say uh, for some of these guys, whether it be Davis Bertans with his uh, upcoming contract or Trevor Reza spending time with his child. Uh, a lot of players are probably pretty hesitant to do this and justifiably so. Uh, I, I forget where we're at in the order. I think we're at Kevin. Uh, one positive that could come from this is as David Grubb wrote, I, I think it was last week, much of the Pelicans roster is going to be coming back in 2020, 2021. And this is a wonderful opportunity for these guys to really bond much like players do on uh, a trip to the Olympics. Do you think that this will be a positive experience for the Pelicans, not so much in 2019, 2020, but going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, that article that Grubb wrote was great. It like, And also, you know, like he said in that one, it's been, what was it, Grubb, like 2004? 16 years. Yeah, 2004 was the last time that the starting five returned. And, you know, that's assuming Drew Holiday doesn't get traded, which we don't have any news or any clue that that's something that they're considering but you know it's a thing that's talked about on twitter a lot and you know everybody sees both sides of the argument or or whatever there but you know to have that much turn that much stability that on this roster seemingly um and them getting to spend a little extra time together this season whether that includes playoffs or not um, is definitely going to help them in the long run going into next season in terms of gelling and understanding each other and developing uh, a style of play, especially because, you know, 
all, all last year that basically missed Zion until he only played 19 games. So this is uh, another sort of like tr- training camp prequel to next season where they really get to integrate him and figure out how they all work around him better. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good in that aspect um, for sure. Um, so I, I, I do view it as a positive of that, even though there's like also a ton of negatives also included in that situation when it comes to long-term health, mental health, um, and all, all of those other issues that we've already talked about. Now, you know, I'll, I think it's a two-edged ahead. sword, right? Real, I just want to jump in on top of what Kevin said. It could lead to better chemistry, right? Things could be built. But what if the Pelicans say get off to an 0-2 start, 0-3, and maybe Grizzlies win their first two? Maybe so does Portland. If you're like, you know, any normal human being, you're obviously going to tune out a little bit less, kind of be thinking about going back home or putting, you know, your priorities and your thoughts a little bit elsewhere, right? I mean, I, you I think, can say all you want that you're going to be committed to this eight-game schedule and playing meaningful games, but if the Pelicans get off to a rocky start, I could see it maybe being more of a detriment than well, any I mean, kind of positive. I mean, what David Griffin said, you know, we're not going to look at this as fool's gold. You don't overestimate or underestimate. You know, you don't – we're not going to blow anything. I don't think we should blow anything that happens in Orlando. No, no, no. Portion. Right. You know, I'm I mean, just talking about potential for building chemistry, stuff like I, that. I just, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if it can I, – I, I see what you're saying about damage, but I think it's so difficult to know where anybody's mindset is 100%. They're all trying here. So I don't think any guy's going to hold something against somebody because of these extraordinary circumstances. And I think even if they do lose a couple of games, what they will see, because you do have guys who are professionals like J.J. Redick and Drew Holiday and Derek Favors, and you have a guy who, who's got a fire like a Zion Williamson. He's mm-hmm. gonna be like, if we're here, you're not wasting my time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, we're not going to be here in this bubble and fucking waste it. If, that's, if we came down here for 30 days and started bullshitting for six games because we lost two, no, it's not going down like that. And I really think that is a more likely scenario than those guys quitting because they all have something at stake. They like for, whether it's individual or not. Ingram has something at stake. Lonzo has something at stake. Hart has something at stake. Drew has something at stake. Favors has something at stake. Zion has something at stake. So I mean, I don't think I, I think I see what you're saying. It's a potential. Yeah, let me I just because I totally agree, with David, with everything you've said. It's it's for me is say suddenly get your team to start zero and two, zero and three, whatever. Suddenly, maybe Zion's going to press a little bit more, try and do a little bit more. Maybe some other individual will. So, therefore, it kind of knocks you out of what you're trying to accomplish as a team. That's where I was kind of thinking with detriment, not like, you know, fractures in relationships. No, sorry, not like that. I'm actually really confident because the Pelicans have already demonstrated a a degree of resilience after that 13-game losing streak. And uh, then you've got guys like Nicola Melli saying, we're not coming to visit Disney World, which is a pretty redundant thing that I think players across the league are probably saying. But I would also think a lot of players would rally around Drew Holiday for all the reasons that David mentioned. Uh, A pregnant wife, and we'll talk about uh, her article next with Kevin. And, and, you know, these guys are, are away from valuable things that they're leaving behind at home. So they're not, they're not coming to dawdle, as Grubb just uh, mentioned. Uh, Kevin, let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, talk about- before we check on that, Preston, yeah. just another thing to add to what they were saying. I would also think that even if, say, the Pelicans come out and they lose their first four games and it's like, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs, and all of a sudden Drew Holiday's like, okay, well, I want to go – I'm going to go leave the bubble. I'm going to go spend time with my pregnant wife. Um, or you know, JJ Reddick's like, I'm gonna go spend time with my family. Derek Favors goes home, whatever, something like that happens. I still think you know, they had a little bit of training camp, they had some preseason games, and they played four games, so even that helped them build towards, even if it wasn't successful, um, in terms of winning, it still helps them prepare for the next season coming up. So, I, I think, in terms of the chemistry thing and bonding and all that, it, it, it will be good for them, regardless. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners at BetOnline.ag. The NBA is right around the corner, and right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play. And BetOnline has the best odds and lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. 
Black Lives Matter, and we're continuing to do our part here at The Bird Calls. That's why we've created the Armchair All-American Scholarship, thanks to contributions from Armchair, myself, Music is My Refuge, R. Anders 36, Andrew Juge, Ralph Malbro, and many more. Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. The criteria is African-American, under 21, and in a creative field. To apply, send something you've created, whether photography, art, music, anything, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application. Uh, sorry, getting back to what I was saying that I'm going to turn over to Grub is just often whenever you see these travesties, you associate them with somebody who's been a, a, a criminal in, in a previous instance. However, Lauren and Drew, uh, you've got an Olympic athlete. You've got an NBA all-star. Uh, both, I think, attended UCLA. I, I'd imagine they're driving nice cars. It just is a very unlikely situation for that type of behavior. But I think it just illuminates David, uh, just how deep the problem really goes. And there was one thing that Lauren said in in the article that really struck me, uh, that one of her friends said that Drew was the whitest guy that that she had ever, the whitest black guy, I think, that she had ever met. What does a comment like that mean to you? I've heard those. You know, you're, you're one of the good ones. You don't talk like you're black. Um, you don't, you know, you're, you, you, you get called those things. And I've heard them. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to put it to you like this. First of all, for me, none of that is a surprise. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of that story is a surprise. Because it's happened to me. It's happened to people that I know. It's happened to, you know, my father. It's happened to my brother. You know what I'm saying? I've been on the end of a gun. And wondering if a police officer was going to do that to me while I'm standing in my own home. So it's not. So to me, it's like, yeah, none of that is far-fetched because this is the life I've always lived and I grew up in upper middle class we were the only black family in our church while I was growing up um, I went to public school but I had just as many friends who went to private schools so I was considered you know special and good and I got I was the one that parents liked when you came over to your house so yeah you, I've heard all of those things um, but part of it it is not political, it's humanity. And mm-hmm. if you don't see the people are asking for their humanity and they don't want more than you, nobody's asking for equal outcomes. They're asking for equal opportunities. They're asking to not be denied things because of. And the simplest way to explain all of this is what Lauren is trying to tell you. Her white privilege is the fact that she wasn't on there. And when white privilege is, it's not, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your pocket. It's not about where you live and who your parents are. The one thing in white privilege means it's not a detriment in this country to be white. It is a detriment in this country to be black. It is a detriment in this country to be Asian. It is a detriment in this country to be Hispanic. That's what white privilege is, plain and simple. And no American should have to have their life cheapened simply because they don't look the same. That's what this whole thing is about. And that's what Lauren was explaining. And that's what I can appreciate. But having to live it, having to live it all the time, yeah, it's it's an incredible amount of pain that you swallow on a regular basis so that you don't go insane. Yeah, I think that was really well said. Uh, I, I don't uh, think I can follow up on that, but I, I do want to give Ollie the opportunity since I, I think Kevin and Grubb took a large portion of this. Obviously, with the return of NBA basketball, hopefully this conversation is going to continue uh, as the games are played, these these players will have more and more of a platform as more and eyes fall upon them. Uh, Ali, just, just explain uh, how things like this can affect the conversation and how you think they can continue and grow even louder and louder. Well, we got a bit of good news today, right? Mark Spears, in case of you that haven't seen it yet, about an hour or so ago, uh, tweeted out a story in reference to that the NBA and also the Players Association reached an agreement on what kind of exact messages can be displayed on players' jerseys. You know, there was some talk, maybe they wouldn't even be allowed or whatever, or or there'd be certain limitations, right? That was more so the issue, I think. But the fact is, it looks like they'll be able to post pretty much anything they want, but there's only an addendum where I think after like four days, the NBA is also going to require players, if they still want to have any kind of message they want, they're also going to have to add their name. So it's just one step that's kind of symbolic of, it looks like what the NBA and the players are trying to do and keeping sure that they make Black Lives Matter still be at the forefront. 
obviously I know that this is not nearly going to be enough because it's the same way in respect of, you know, a lot of players that I've spoken to on the past, what kneeling, what having a hand in the fist, that's not enough. You still want to be able to push more greater things that lead to action. Cause that at the end of the day, that's what you need. It's not just an understanding you want now, kind of what Lauren was kind of depicting on how in her relationship with Drew, she got to a place to where, she got to understand what Drew was going through. So when she said we got lucky, you know, she, she knew exactly what that meant because a lot of white people don't. So anyways, not trying to get off topic too much. I think just personalized statements is just part of one of many things that the NBA is going to try and do. So I, th- I think it's exciting. I think the way to combat systemic racism is to, for the NBA to keep it at the forefront and allow the players the use of their platform to do what they think is best. Black lives matter, and we're continuing to do our part here at The Bird Calls. That's why we've created the Armchair All-American Scholarship. Thanks to contributions from Armchair, myself, Music is My Refuge, R. Anders 36, Andrew Juge, Ralph Malbro, and many more, Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. The criteria is African-American, under 21, and in a creative field. To apply, send something you've created, whether photography, art, music, anything, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application. Um, Grub, do you want to take us to the to the next topic? Um, I mean, we can talk about just, I, I think, the in the 11 things that I posted, I mean, I think a lot of those things are things to remember. Um, you want to see how the Pelicans, primarily, I think defense is going to be extremely important at the start of this, because I think shooting is going to be off. So how quickly do the Pelicans get back into the type of defensive um, type of some consistency? I don't think they're going to post a 91.6 in Orlando defensive rating, but amongst the starters, but you want to see again, that they're not allowing people to just run up and down the middle of the court and attack the basket on them. That That's something that I want to see from day one. All right. Yeah, that's going to be pretty important. Uh, the The pace is going to be critical because we don't know what, what kind of shape these players are going to be in. And we've talked ad nauseum about the work that Aaron Nelson has done. But being in basketball shape is a different beast entirely. Ali, do you think uh, the pace the Pelicans play with is going to be at their advantage when they get to Orlando? Yes and no. I think and I've been maintaining this for you know weeks, maybe even over a month now, in that this environment is going to be suitable to their style of play in that chaos which they live in because they create so many turnovers in the game but yet they can still manage to win games is now suddenly going to be chaotic for everybody because of the unfamiliarity of not playing with one another for so long for whatever other rust issues not being familiar with the court they're going to be playing on no fans you know what i mean so i feel like that plays uh to the pelicans advantage but one thing i haven't said previously is that we've also got to consider that pace and, and that chaotic chaotic type of you know helter skelter getting up and down the court could be uh disadvantageous if you look at it through like an injury lens right i haven't really thought about that previously so alvin gentry in his zoom call with us talked about and i've been presuming that hey this this guy is going to be playing to win so it's going to be playoff roster we're going to go eight man deep that i can trust alvin didn't give off that vibe to me instead he was talking about he's really going to have to be careful uh, Griffin had t- said the same thing to where they are going to have to utilize their rotations. And we'll see a lot of that in the three scrim- scrimmage games. But I think we'll also see some of that translate to those eight seeding games. And I know Grubb's been big on this, too. I didn't give it as much credence until this week when I heard, you know, both of them speak on that, Griff and, of course, Alvin. So, yeah, I, I, it, it's a two-pronged real answer for me, Preston, right? If they can somehow maintain that pace and the way their style with their roster up and down, then, yeah, it looks great. But if Alvin's forced to go to that bench, he may, and we've seen how they failed oftentimes through the year, certain players just not being able to keep up whatever the starters were doing, that it could somehow fall on their face too. So I'll end it with this. Griffin said, we don't really know what we're going to expect there. And that's why I kind of wrote the article that I did last night in terms of, you know, we may be looking too much at what previously happened in the season. You got to throw out some of this stats, some of this analysis, because of all these different factors that are now going to be faced by every team down there. So the best thing that you can do is kind of just really, it sounds simple, but is to prepare yourself both physically and mentally as much as you can for the grind. And we'll see where the chips fall, where they land down once they get down there. 
Yeah, I, I I don't know if we've covered this earlier in the pod. I think it was something we discussed at a, at a recent podcast to to maintain that pace, Kevin, specifically since these players will be getting themselves back into game shape. Uh, Alvin Gentry is probably going to have to manage minutes, not just on, on Zion, but all of his starters. Uh, how deep into his rotation would you expect Alvin to go? I mean, he he has a history of going kind of deep into his rotation. I mean, we saw those weird, like, like two or three, four minute spurts of Frank Jackson at the end of a half and stuff like that, where he would just throw in a bench guy and sort of see what sticks and what works. So I would expect, uh, you know, at least a 10 man rotation, if not an 11 man rotation from him um, in those eight games for sure. Um, maybe tighten that up for the playoffs, but he always seems to uh, play a lot of guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've we've got uh, one question left. I'll get to it in a second. I didn't give you a chance to answer that one, Grub. Uh, obviously, uh, the Pelicans, one of the fastest teams in the league. Um, they're they're going to try to score, and they're going to try to score a lot. But what's made them really good uh, since getting Derek Favors back into the lineup and getting Zion into the lineup has been their defense. They've been a top ten defense. Uh, do you think they can pick that up where they left off? Yeah, that's that's what I was saying earlier. Is I think that that's the biggest and most critical factor for everybody. Because I think offense, like you say, you don't know what state they're going to be in. Are they going to be able to push the ball? I don't know. So the one thing you can do every night is attempt to defend. And if the effort, you want to see the effort level, it's like what we talked about even during the preseason, is that you, you weren't seeing the right effort level. Something wasn't there defensively. So if we treat this like a preseason and just say, well, let's see what happens, um, you want to see effort. You want to see continuity as best you can from the groups that are familiar with each other. Because we are going to see a lot of unfamiliar groupings, I would imagine, from every team. So you can't judge it. You're not going to get a ton of judgeable minutes against the best of each group. Because teams are going to have different motivations at different points of this eight-game sprint. So, yeah, I think you just want to see night to night are the Pelicans committed to trying to stop people from scoring. Yeah, all right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap up. We're a little over an hour now. before we get to that, uh, I think this might have been from uh, Tejeda. Just July 30th, if it comes to fruition, um, we'll go ahead and we'll start with Kevin. Um, how's it going to feel to watch basketball again? I mean, it's going to feel good. I mean, like I like I said, I think Grub and I are both in the same boat that we don't think this should be happening. But we both love basketball, so we're both going to watch it. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I mean, that's how I feel. But we've always been on the on the platform that we don't think that they should be playing but of course and like he said uh it was the last pod we did you weren't on it Preston but Grub was you know going on about how we need to appreciate the sacrifice that these guys are making for us to be able to watch this and I think um I'm definitely going to be doing that knowing what we know about the situation and what they're giving up for us to to provide entertainment I'm gonna have a lot of respect for it and I'm not going to be uh, critical of performance like I would be you know normally analyzing a game because of the situation that it's in I'm going to take it purely as entertainment but with a with a strong appreciation for for what they're doing for us and I'm going to have my fingers crossed that it doesn't all come tumbling down and no one gets sick um, and you know that they're able to play it through although I I am very skeptical that it's going to work out but I will be happy to watch basketball again, of course. I mean, I love watching basketball. Ollie, what about you? You think this is this is going to happen, obviously, in Florida today? Another 10,000 cases, 10,000 cases yesterday, 50,000 cases this week. Do you think we're going to make it? We're four weeks out. Well, as I've said before, and I think with, with at least David before somewhere, is that I think they'll get started. And, of course, everybody's going to be excited just to watch the basketball. But there's going to be so many things in the back of all of our minds. And I hope so. Anyways, let me put it like that. Basketball should not become a priority. People shouldn't suddenly go back to any kind of calling it a new normal, et cetera. And and that's my biggest fear. I want to see, you know, the the play be outstanding. You, You don't see any injuries. Nobody develops COVID. But you've just got to think the odds are so much higher. I don't want to say infinitely higher, but you just feel it, right? It's significantly higher, the dangers for these players to go there and not only for for their own personal health and well-being physically, but mentally, you know? And then, of course, with all the ones that are still trying to prioritize, 
their activism or whatever else they're trying to do. So it, it's a double-edged sword. I know I'm saying that again, but I just hope that it goes off without a hitch. But I, I really think that at some point something's going to happen. It's just too great of a length of period, two and a half months to get through with currently what's going on. Look, I mean, the Clippers just, what was it, yesterday, right? They had to shut down their practice facility because of the COVID uh, scare. And you know that these guys have been under strict uh, self-isolation type of guidelines protocol since June 23rd. So for that to happen yesterday in their own practice facility, whatever happened, it's scary. So it doesn't give me good hope of what's to come. It feels it feels weird to to celebrate basketball. It feels weird to celebrate anything right I don't now. Think celebrating it, right? I don't think none of us are, even the ones that think the NBA should play. So I don't. I wouldn't use that well, word. I'm not, right? I'm not gonna say it. I mean, amongst us, sure, but I'm not gonna say that there are people around the country who could, you know, give a damn and and we just go back to basketball. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it's not a celebration of the sport, and I don't think the NBA views it that way. I don't think the NBA does, and I don't think the players view it as a celebration of the sport. Um, no. I think they view it as their this is their job, and we got to go do our job. And and I get that. And like I said, like Kevin said, I, I I'll just reiterate that is that we do have to. Everything should be viewed to the perspective of a sacrifice. No, I mean, potentially someone could die. That, that is on the table. It's not something that you could say is no chance of happening. Someone in this bubble could die. So because, because of that, yeah, any fan that boos, you know, even if you're sitting in front of your damn TV, if you boo a guy out there who's doing this, and something's wrong. And if us as journalists, they said, I'm not going to pick it. Like, uh, absolutely. We shouldn't pick it apart the same way. And we talk about the results. We'll talk about what happened. But we can't talk about it the same way because the stakes of what they're doing off the court, they're just living their life in that situation, is more important than any title you're going to win this season. Right. I'm proudly going to refuse to go that route. I'm going to call out people. I've already lost a lot of followers. I've had people attack me. I don't, I don't care. You know, I, I think it's on us to keep promoting and this perspective. And so I love the way you just wrapped that up, David. All right, let's get out of here. It's been a little over an hour. Appreciate you guys' time. Remember, you can follow them at Ali Cosell, at DM Grub, at Kevin B for Bounce. Of course, you can follow me at Preston Ellis. Uh, if you want to do us a favor, you know the drill. Share, like, retweet, rate us on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to have a ton of content for you this month. Uh, we're, we're building back up to basketball, so we'll have plenty of talk about, uh, to talk about. But for now, thanks for listening. Uh, as we sign off on every podcast, let's dance. Let's go, pals. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today